are live from the empire of lies, an oasis of peace, love, and truth in the Biden administration. I'm Lee Stranahan, and this is The Backstory. There you go, Rod. I've gone full on hippie for the intro now. What the heck? <laughs> you said you said it was a representative of the Biden administration, though. Love. I don't know about all that. Yeah, well, well, you know, what he does and what we do are fundamentally different. But, you know, I do want to point out that it really is about peace and love because I am more convinced than ever that saying I stand with Russia from the beginning of this conflict was exactly the right move. As we, Do you agree that what we've seen from Ukraine should mean they are a pariah state? No state lying about another country to try to turn World War III, I think, should put you, make you a pariah. Do you agree with that, Rod? 100 percent, Lee. Uh, you know, I remember when the Obama's, Obama administration was going on and people were talking about false flags in Syria. And, you know, that term was seemed like it was demonized. But now, it, you know, when it happened with Ukraine, it, was, it seemed like everybody was using it. Yes. No. Right. And let me, let me point out, if Russia had falsely claimed that another country had bombed one of their allies, right? So if they falsely claimed, let's say, that Ukraine had bombed Belarus, falsely, no way it was Ukraine in this case, and proceeded to immediately blame them. Because remember this, Rod, Ukraine immediately came out and said it was Russia who dropped the missile on Poland. Does that make sense? Yeah, with no, you know, with no real evidence. No, they they did. I disagree. They had lots of evidence that they did it. They knew what they were doing. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, but I mean, for their claims of saying it was Russia. Right, right. They didn't have evidence because it was a false claim. They were just lying about it. So if Russia came out and lied about uh, a missile hitting an ally of theirs to gin up an escalated war, I would disagree with that. I would have to. I'm not a hypocrite, and that's a very dangerous move. But throughout this conflict, Russia has shown restraint and sanity. And that's why they call it the empire of lies. That's Vladimir Putin's phrase for the U.S. and the U.K. And they go along with lies. And by the way, did you see a single solitary media take back on that story, Rod? No, 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 not really, no. Or, or a story like Reuters, how we got it wrong. And they said, here's our journalistic process. We listened to an unknown State Department official. They did not want to go on record, and they provided us with no proof. We made a mistake. We should not have ran with that story. Easy enough, right? But you're never going to see anything like that from them because they're doing what they're paid to do. We've got a great show today. In the first hour, the great author, artist, and bon vivant, Ted Raw will be joining us. And we'll be talking about the end of the Pelosi era. And uh, I'll, I'll, I've talked long enough, so let, let me get to the boom. But I'm going to cackle about the other thing that happened last night. 
and in the second hour from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. And I think, Rod, what are you doing to me? Are you trying to torture me? It's 17 degrees in Sioux Falls, Rod. 17, one seven. It's it's barely legal if it were <laughs> the weather. So the the weather here is 17 degrees. And this is the second guess, I think in a week, you booked me who's in Rio frickin' de Janeiro. Are you trying to torture me? No, I, I wish I was there too, Lee. So, you know, we're both in the same position. Rod, I will get back at you. To get back at your torture, I think it's, by the way, it's elder abuse and uh, cripple abuse, whatever, stroke abuse, you ableist. But I'll tell you what I'll do to you. I will get back in honor of you having guests at Rio. The next episode, I will wear a thong and send you a picture of it, Rod. Ha ha. That will get you. Do you agree? That's an act of violence, Lee. So, you know, I'm going to have to call the FBI on you. Yeah, well done. Okay, so Rod, do us a favor. Take us to the boom and then let me cackle about something. You're listening to the best show on the radio, The Backstory. Okay, before we get to Owl Killer, let me say something. Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, I really adore her. She did what she was saying. She introduced legislation last night calling for an audit of the Ukraine money. Did you see that, Rod? Yeah, it was just too last minute for me to grab it. But yeah, and then she also went on InfoWars and uh, and she talked about it as well, Lee. And, I, you know, now it makes me want to I want to talk to her in person. I'll see if I can catch her in person. I think she would honestly come on this show, too. Right. And and what she's calling for is not, an, I mean, an audit asking where the money went. What's wacky about that? Well, I think that's very reasonable. Lee. I think uh, anybody with a sensible mind where we're giving away billions of dollars would would also agree with that. But you you see how the Democrats are reacting, you know, like, no, you know, what do you need to audit for this for? It's, it's for the for the glory of, of Ukraine, you know, it's for the glory of FTX. So the FTX thing, this is not going away. This is the biggest loss of money in U.S. history. Did you see that? This is the most money anyone's lost quickly ever yeah we you in know history. we talked yeah we talked about bernie madoff and then the person who's invested one of the people who's i guess who's starting to investigate this now is a, a former enron official and they said they've never seen anything like this and then sam bankman freed or fried or whatever it is his girlfriend is the daughter of a of a sec head and so yes. you know and it's just like you know if we start to look at this and it's just like you know, this is how you know nothing's going to really happen because so many people are connected to it in, 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 in high places. Yes. And they've got themselves into a network of people who are in their late 20s, early 30s. And do you know who has somewhat of a connection to that network? Somewhat. Mm, Former uh, host on Sputnik. Oh, you're talking about Shane? Yes. My son, Shane Stranahan, who is the former host of Fall Lines, with Thomas and Stranahan when he was on it. Uh, you'll still hear ads for the show sometimes. Shane, you know where he's living now? Shane's up in Portland. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, but it makes sense because his mother and stepfather live in Vancouver, Washington, 
right across the border from Portland. Does that make sense? Okay, that's what's up. That's what's up. So, so one place he could go live free, you know, is with me, and it's already a non-starter right there. But in Sioux Falls, in the dead of winter, so let's point that out. He could do that. He's well, welcome. Yeah, Portland's kind of like a more uh, hipster Kensington with you know the, the type of drugs going around there. I don't really hear too many good things about Portland lately. Well, lately, lately. Well, when I say he's living in Portland, I mean the Portland area. I don't know if he's in Portland or if he actually lives in Vancouver. We just sent him a present, a belated birthday present. Not because we didn't. I bought it for him on time. But I didn't know where he'd be. So we sent it to Vancouver. But I think he's doing one of those things that kids do where, you know, he's, he's 30-ish. And so he's sometimes sleeping on people's couches in Portland. Does that make sense, Rod? Yeah, no, I've heard of people doing that. But, yeah, you know, maybe it's kind of more of a 20-ish thing. But, you know, I mean, uh, age really doesn't really have a uh, – doesn't matter nowadays. Right, yeah, and and he's sort of connected to that crypto, uh, making money, marketing, uh, effective altruism crowd in Portland, and obviously they're all very liberal, you know, woke liberal, and so woke liberal, and then having a seat at the table with or a picture with Maxine Waters, I guess, looks pretty good. For Sam Bankman Freed, is it Freed or Fried? It looks like Fried, but then it just—it's just too funny because then it's like Bernie Madoff, and then it's Sam Bankman Fried. It looks like Fried, and it's just like these names are just so fitting. But it's one of those names where it could go either way. It, it, see if we can get him on the show, Rod. Have you reached out to the Bahamas yet? No, no, no. We're still waiting for him. I think he's going to, he's getting, he's going to force them to extradite him, which will be funny. I've seen a, a clip of him uh, where Chuck Todd was interviewing him and he was shaking his chair when he was talking about his donations. So I think that guy would, he's going to burst into a, a ocean of a sweat if you start asking him the right questions. Do you anticipate, let me ask Alcala this question, because I'm sure it's a, it's a very serious political question. And Alco is exactly the one to answer it. 202-521-1320. Owl Killer, one of our great community of callers here on the backstory. Killer of Owls, I've got a question for you. Ready? Listen, shoot. Okay. Sam Bankman Freed, suicide in his jail cell or not? What say you? He's gonna. He'll die before they take him in. Guarant- uh, that that actually the over under. I'll put before he'll he'll overdose before they take him in. Or don't be surprised if he goes to Israel, where they can't extradite. And there are also nice beaches. Israel, you know, it's a it's a warm, it's a more temperate climate. Because he currently oh, lives. Israel's beautiful. Did you see where, where where he lives now in Bahamas with ten people? Did, so did you 10 see people- the segment that Tucker had? Yesterday? Uh, yeah, I've seen a number of them. What What are you talking about the, specifically? Oh, it was like they were like fawning over him. Oh, he's he look at his fluffy hair and he wears a T-shirt and shorts and he's going to be the new uh, J.P. Morgan or maybe Harriman or fawning over this guy. 
And some no, some and, and yeah, some nobody knew that he was like he, some nobody was like, look, look what he's bailing out. He's bailing out known Ponzi schemes. This guy was a nobody on like a YouTube economics channel. Stay a warning. Stay away from this guy. You, you can just see the people that he's bailing out. It, this is a clear Ponzi scheme. And, you know, people were like laugh, laughing at this, laughing at the man like he, he didn't know uh, what planet he was on. But, you know, Martin Armstrong was on Alex Jones yesterday. And, and Martin Armstrong's a very smart guy. Yes. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And he was talking about the head of the Europe. This is just a micro. FTX is a microcosm of that. This is basically what our entire financial system really is run on. And basically this company, Binance, I guess that was his competitor. And Freed, Bankman Freed, was trying to use... um, his connections with the uh, SEC to go after Binance. So Binance just, you know, the, 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 these guys are, the people that run these companies outside of, like, the, the, that collective with FTX, they're very sharp, and they can see things that nobody else could. And when he was, lo- when he was looking at the numbers with FTX, he knew there was no way they could cover how much they were leveraged. And he now, basically made also, that call and everybody this, made a run on it. And we'll come back, because great info about SBF and the FTX scandal from Al Killer. He's SBF, though, right? So I'm going to give him some advice. Sam, listen up. Next time, given your skill set, I suggest that you do not invest in crypto. Not that you did, really. <laughs> you just took the money from people who were investing in crypto. I'm going to suggest you go to your local hair salon and you ask and you invest in something called product. Ask them at your hairdresser. Say, I need some product. That was part of the gimmick. So you agree? Oh, no. I I think that that that's part of the gimmick. It's the Bill Gates sweater. The hair is his sweater. He's non-threatening. Look at him. He has goofy hair. Say say that line again, because no one's ever said that line in the history of man. Say, the hair is his sweater. Because it's a weird sense if you think about Al Killer. And it makes perfect sense. Look, no, Alex, I have to give credit where it's due. Alex Jones points these things out, but I associated the hair. But the hair is his Bill Gates sweater, and it's Warren Buffett's ice cream cone. That's the non-threatening thing that they they wave at you. It's the hair and it's the T-shirt. He couldn't do anything. You look at him. You know he, he's so genuine. He's altruistic. That's it's, the new it, word that they're l- using. Let me say this: Would it be fair to say it is, the hair is his hoodie? No, I, no, a, a hoodie is intimidating. Not at all. A, a hoodie is intimidating. Nobody unless are it's you like intimidated in, by Fetterman? Not at all. But the the hoodie. You know what I'm saying? A hoodie doesn't make you non. To me, Fetterman looked like a satanic demon. I, I don't know how anybody couldn't see through that. Like, I would I would run the other way if I – well, I, I'm, I'm saying in, and, in a let sense, me just I would ask go something. the opposite way if I Al saw Killer, that guy. Because I've got you from Jersey, hip-hop fan from Jersey, and Rod. Let me ask you both. I'm not going to say the word, but there is a word in the English language, and it rhymes with a word you're really not supposed to say, the N-word. But I'll rhyme it with the T word. But there is a word, and I think it applies to Fetterman. It rhymes with, let's say, 
trigger, like when you pull a gun, a trigger. And the word begins with W. And the word is for a white person who takes on a black affectation. They pretend to be black. Do you know the word I'm talking about, Rod? <clears throat> yeah, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't associate that with Fetterman. No, really? not at all. No. Not at all. Okay, so I kind of... I, I don't think... I, seriously, I don't think... I, I'm going to be honest with you. I know the type of person Fetterman is. I don't think he, even in his life, I don't think he even associated with black people. I think he he's just a spoiled, rotten kid. And the only people that will listen to him is people that he thinks are beneath him. That's why he pretends like he's down. I gotta adamantly disagree, Al Keller. Adamantly, and Rod will back me up on this. Rod, you know for a fact that Fetterman associated with black people and pointed a shotgun at them, correct? Okay, that's what I mean. (laughs) That's That's what I'm saying. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. That's exactly what I'm saying. Like he, these. That's he. He could have associating. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, yeah, definitely. I that that was definitely a good uh, a good. Turn uh, turn around on that, but I I'm t- he would be uncomfortable. Uh, he would be uncomfortable in certain parts of uh, Pennsylvania. He'd be uncomfortable in parts of Jersey where we all have to get along with each other because all the common people are we're not we're not Fetterman rich. You know, we don't have our dad. That never can. never let it be said that I did not defend Fetterman. Okay. Yeah. Because you you heard it. You said. He did not associate with black people. I immediately <laughs> sprang to his defense and pointed out how he had. And I'll tell you, it's because of the strokes. In fact, do you know what people with strokes say for solidarity? <laughs> anyway, that was what you say, but no one understands. I can get away with that joke because you ableist bastards. Okay, go ahead, Al Keller. So I want to know if. Yeah, I mean, but no, Fetterman is the epitome of the per like he's a Katie Hobbs that they really don't they per, they're really I I don't want to call Fetterman race because I haven't outside of pointing the shotgun at at the uh, the black person that was outside of his house I I can't say that he's racist but Katie Hobbs definitely said some racist things they really look down upon the people they pretend to represent and um. Vivian Kubrick was on Alex Jones today uh, with Sean really? Stone. Great segment. Yes, great segment. It's the third hour. If you don't want to listen to the whole show, listen to the third hour. And she was no, reading it Aristotle. It reminds me I need to call Vivian, too. I've been meaning to the past couple of days, but it reminds me. Go, go on, I'll call her. Yeah, so she, she's in Austin, um, and she's doing a documentary. Maybe you even get in the documentary if you talk to her. Um, and... I, she was reading something from like 2,400 years ago of how tyranny um, of how tyranny is run. They were talk and they were talking about not allowing people to communicate with each other, to send spies in, like in Syracuse, uh, Syracuse not Syracuse, New York, but Syracuse, uh, to set right. to have spies in there. So people are scared to say, "I'm not doing it justice." You need you you should li- listen to that part specifically. And it's identical to um, what's going on today. I'm sure we could get Vivian on the show. And I I love Vivian. So let me make a reference. While we're talking about Vivian, it reminds me of something. Remember the great film, the Stanley Kubrick film, The Shining, starring Jack Nicholson. You guys remember that film? Of course. Now, remember the scene where Nicholson's character goes into a hotel room. 
And taking a bath is a beautiful woman, except the beautiful woman is really a corpse. And she right. goes to hug him, and then he sees that she's a corpse. Remember that? Yep. So I was thinking about people hugging corpses, because I saw Rob Reiner talking about Nancy Pelosi last night. Oh, Jesus and Christ. What I've seen, and have you guys seen this on Twitter? Yeah, a lot so of people crazy. talking about how awesome Nancy Pelosi is to a point where, you know, con- I guess congratulate her if you got to. But it's weird to the point of I thought of Nicholson trying to get with a corpse. Have you guys it, noticed there was that? Somebody, no, there was somebody. It may have been him, but somebody was talking about how attractive she is and how there's no way Paul Pelosi Rex would Chapman. have been doing that's who it was. Rich it's Chapman. insane. You got to listen Chapman. to that. Yeah, and AOC, <laughs> and uh, I, I think uh, D.L. Hewley, which is weird. You know, she also a, she, she needs OnlyFans lead. That they'd be, she'd shoot to number one. Oh God! Now she actually would. You know, she would. There, there are people that would just do it just to say they did it. Well, she's ice cream curious. Let me put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> so. So, Owl Killer, as usual, great phone call. Thanks for the call, Owl Killer. And, uh, but, Rod, had you noticed that on Twitter, a lot of people really over the top praising Pelosi? I'm going to over the top really praise Marjorie Taylor Greene is the smartest woman ever to be in Congress. Now, that may not seem like a high standard. Now, that's offensive, Rod. Why would you say such a thing? But, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, by coming out of the gate and immediately, immediately, the day after Ukraine is lying, saying we should audit Ukraine money, doing that, she fulfilled what I expected her to do. Now, I can't say, I don't know if it will pass. I don't know. I don't think it will. I don't think Congress will pass a bill auditing Ukraine money. Because they might as well pass a bill auditing FTX money. It's obvious the Democrats largely, but with Republican help, let's never forget, Republicans were not fighting back against that until now. Republicans and Democrats sent billions of dollars to Ukraine. Ukraine turned around and invested in FTX. And then FTX went on to be the second biggest donor for the Democrats. So if I take money, put it in one pocket, then put it in another pocket, then give it to you, it's still the same money, right? And what am I missing here, Rod, with my, you know, middle school level education? What am I missing? No, you got you got it right, Lee. It's it's one of the biggest corruption scandals we've seen in our lifetime. And, uh, you know, let me just add, there's a there's an anti- SBF. His name was uh, Nikolai Mushigan, and uh, he was uh, a big crypto guy living in Puerto Rico. You know, the, you know, in the Caribbean, that's where a lot of these guys are living. Uh, that's where Jake Paul and Logan Paul live in Puerto Rico. And uh, his his last tweet said, uh, "I'm quoting. This was also in New York Post. CIA and Mossad and pedo elite are running some kind of sex trafficking entrapment blackmail ring out of Puerto Rico and Caribbean islands." And then he ended up dead a couple hours later. He said he went out into the ocean in strong waves and he died. And everyone said he would never do that. 
Now, I mentioned my son Shane Stranahan earlier, but I didn't tell you what he told me. He said he's been hearing about FTX for a while. I'm not saying the people he knows up in Portland all like FTX. Au contraire, they don't like it. And they've been hearing about it for a while. Have crypto people known about FTX for a while, Rod? Oh, yeah. A lot of people have been calling it out. They've been calling out a lot of these uh, a lot of these exchanges. And, you know, they're they're more like kind of uh, libertarian. So, you know, they, they want the frauds exposed. Yes. You mean the crypto people who criticize yeah, the, them, not yeah, the crypto FTX. People. Yeah, the crypto people. Right. And FTX, a lot of people were, were suspicious of it. And my understanding of it, Rod, is the exchanges, and that was from my interview with Dave Towell, uh, that they don't like F stuff, stuff like FTX because they feel it's an unnecessary middleman. Is that correct, Rod? Yeah, these exchanges are pretty much like a bank. And, you know, you know how people, certain people tell you about leaving all your money in the bank. Um, so, yeah, and now you see, you know, some people who were who thought they were rich off some certain type of cryptos, but they had their uh, the cryptos in uh, this exchange, FTX, and now it, it's bust, and now they're broke. You know what I mean? So certain people are. Now, how would you rate Nancy Pelosi's term as speaker? I would say, you know, if you think the January 6th hearing was good, you'll you'll like her. And if you but if you think the January 6th hearing is good, you're so stupid that you liking her doesn't say much for her. What do you say, Rod? Uh, you know, I, I don't have any, you know, if you don't have anything nice to say, you're not saying it at all about Nancy. You know, that's about, you know, she, she, she's, she's establishment. That's pretty much all I can say. So she did her job. Well, well, we'll ask Ted Rod about that coming up. And I'm sure Ted will be nice because he is not a mean person. Ted Rawls, very nice guy, and he'll be on the show right after that. It's a show that brings you the truth and bad jokes behind the news. I'm Lee Stranahan, and this is The Backstory. No pun intended. On the show that brings you the truth behind the news, this is Backstory, blasting out on the radio in Washington, D.C., on 105.5 FM and AM 1390. This is Backstory. So joining us now is a great friend of the show, cartoonist, author, artist, Bon Vivant, the great Ted Rawl. Hey, Ted, how you doing? Good afternoon, Lee. I'm good. So it's always great to talk to you, especially, you know, on the weekend, you know, even though I don't have a job strictly, well, my job strictly is my job is Monday through Friday. But I'm a person who works every day. I'm sure you're the same, Ted. Do you feel like the weekends? How do you feel about weekends personally? Yeah, you know, the only thing that differentiates a weekend day from the weekday for people like us, I think, is just that other people have it off and then they ask you what you're going to do for the weekend and the answer is always nothing because you'll be working. So, uh, and you know, it's, yeah. all, it's especially true about three-day weekends. 
what are you going to do? You know, how are you going to enjoy your long weekend? I'm like, I work for myself. I, I don't have a long weekend. I don't know what you're talking about. That's that's right. And the other thing is, a lot of the news comes out on the Sunday shows. So for people who work in and covering the news, you also know that by Monday you'll have had to study up on hours of interviews on shows like Meet the Press and so on. Agreed, Ted? Totally agreed. Now, we had a big week, Ted, because the Republicans took Congress. And I'm gonna ask you, you know, and again, you're not a Republican, but can you understand why people like Rod and I, Republicans and people who are very concerned about the Biden agenda and also about the crimes that we feel were on the laptop. And I've said that over and over again. It's not about the laptop. It's about what it revealed about Biden lying about his involvement with his son's businesses. And so do you understand why people like Rod and I are very excited that the Republicans seem to have gotten off to a strong start investigating Biden? What say you, Ted Rawl? Well, I read... Uh, a really, uh, you know, as far as mainstream media goes, uh, a really good piece in New York Magazine uh, called something like the sordid uh, story of Hunter Biden's laptop. And, it, you know, if you weren't convinced before you read that story, which is, you know, they're, they're a democratically aligned outlet, you certainly need to know that, you know, that article will leave anybody who's intellectually honest coming away with the impression that there's you know, there, there's some serious smoke there and uh, and probably some fire. I mean, there's very serious allegations of, uh, of financial impropriety and uh, influence peddling and uh, even kickback schemes involving the then vice president and then future pre- and, and then the current president of the United States. I mean, you know, there's there's strong reason to believe that the president is implicated and has literally uh, taken the country into proxy war in favor of, uh, you know, a country that gave his kid, you know, drug-addicted kid a no-show job. So, you know, I mean, look, that should be looked into. If that laptop had belonged to, uh, you know, President Trump or or maybe, uh, you know, Trump's brother uh, or son, let's say, you know, let's say it was... Uh, you know, let's say it was, a, uh, you know, Ivanka's um, laptop, you would want, you know, the Democrats would want to know what's on it. Well, I think as an American, I want to know uh, what all this means and what it says. I mean, I do feel sorry for Hunter and, and the violation of his privacy, but there's bigger issues here. Um, and, you know, the, it's out of, it's, it's, it's too bad. It's too late. That's, that's done. But yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think Republicans and not if, and, you know, and I think some people on the left, like me, we want to know. Uh, it's it's a legitimate topic of, of inquiry and, and should be looked into. Now, I, I, so I don't want to put you in a position of saying nice things about Republicans twice in a row. But also, you have Marjorie Taylor Greene coming out last night and asking for the Ukraine money to be audited. Is there anything that you see outrageous about asking where where billions of dollars has gone, Ted Roll? Uh, certainly not. Look, in general, uh, you know, the more audits of government uh, expenses, the better. 
no matter what. And in the case of you, you know, in the case of any kind of transfer of uh, weapons to a foreign country, you're always going to have some shrinkage, and there's always a tendency of stuff to turn up on the black market. Uh, you know, that happened throughout the 20-year involvement in Afghanistan, for example. Uh, Ukraine is on Transparency International's list of the most corrupt nations in the world. Uh, there were reports of weapons, U.S. weaponry, turning up on the dark web for sale. I don't know if those are verified or not. But, you know, hey, what's wrong with an audit? No, there's nothing wrong with an audit. Uh, by all means, have at it. Let's find out where our money is going and how. And also, I'm, I'm going to make it an attempt because, you know, we have a very great audience on the backstory and on Sputnik in general. And I understand why a lot of people are cynical about voting because they say it's, it's a uniparty and it doesn't make any difference. And I've been saying for a while it does make a difference because there is actually no one on the Democrat side, not one person I've seen who I think would have come out for an audit, for instance. And on the Republican side, you've only got like 10 people. But I think those 10 people make all the difference. And I think they show why voting matters. And people's, and if they do like the result, they should vote. And if they don't like the result, they should vote too. Because do you think that this answers people who, for understandable reasons, are skeptical of the voting process and that it actually matters even in 2022. Ted Rawl, what say you? That's a, a big well, voice I think when people say that they don't, it's one uniparty and that, you know, it's the, it's the uh, Republicrats uh, and that it doesn't matter, they're not really referring to things like this. They're referring more to, uh, you know, what are these parties doing about the problems that afflict their lives, whether it be inflation or crime or high college expenses or high unemployment or low wages or terrible health care system that we have in this country. Uh, and that does feel like it doesn't make much difference who's in charge. I mean, both parties are in favor of war. Both parties uh, are in favor of corporate for-profit health care and so on. Um, now, that said, uh, around the edges, you do have – it does make a difference. I mean, the Hunter Biden investigation is an example um, you know, I think there's going to be less spending to support the war in Ukraine now that the the, 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 the House is controlled by Republicans. Uh, there's, there's, you know, certainly the Dobbs decision shows the effect of uh, elections. Um, so there's, you know, in terms of, you know, the composition of the Supreme Court being determined by these elections, uh, although belatedly many years later sometimes. Um, but it's, I think it's, I think they have a, a strong point that the two parties are very similar, but it's also not true that it makes no difference. No, no, that's a, a good point, and that's well said. So let me ask you, because you know you're such a nice guy, we've talked about that. <laughs> uh, I'm, but with a mean streak, I'll say that, Ted. I see. It. <laughs> so let me say this: I'm going to give you the floor and ask you to eulogize the career of Nancy Pelosi. How has Nancy Pelosi done as speaker? Because I could find lots of people to get on and rant about Nancy Pelosi and say how awful she was. But you're pretty balanced. And I'm sure if she did a good thing or two, 
you'll point out. Ted Rawl, what say you about Nancy Pelosi? Well, I agree with what your last uh, guest or co-host, I don't know what he was, who, what, what his capacity was, who I was, while I was on hold, he said that, you know, he's a sta- she was an establishment and she did her job. That's very well said, extremely succinct. Um, she, you know, I mean, I, I think when you assess someone's career, you assess what, what were they trying to achieve and what were, and then what was good for, whether or not that was good for society, two different metrics. And you know, she was a, a congressman from San Francisco who wanted to make a name for herself and to represent her district effectively. I think she succeeded in spades on the first part, but but really didn't do much on the second part. I mean, like way too many politicians, it ended up being about self-aggrandizement. So she definitely was an extremely effective speaker. Uh, even Newt Gingrich said that she... Uh, you know, she really used force and muscle to get difficult, legislate, challenging legislation like the ACA through the House of Representatives. Uh, she, you know, knocked heads. You could see that she was feared by, for example, the squad when they came in and as you know, would be revolutionaries, and they've been defanged and uh, and 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 destroyed, really, um, by by Nancy. Um, there. I think she she's a formidable, powerful uh, force for the court, for, and who in a real survivor, uh, who you know is is a force to be reckoned with. Now that said, you know I mean, can she point to what did she really do for the people of San Francisco? Not much, as far as I can tell. What did she you know you think about someone like Robert Byrd, who basically brought highways and other infrastructure to West Virginia that never would have been there otherwise. What did she do for the American people? I would say she strengthened the Democratic Party. I read today that she claimed to have fundraised a million dollars a day during her uh, last six years as speaker. Um, that's kind of an incredible tribute both to her fundraising acumen and a, a, an indictment of the uh, corrupting role of money in politics, uh, thinking that she's basically just dialing for dollars all day. Um, but so it's, it's a mixed bag. I mean, you know, she's a smart, capable, uh, person who, uh, was an effective politician, but, uh, I, I think in the end, you know, can, is anybody going to be able to say like, well, you know, uh, uh, these people, you know, are, have jobs or these people have, you know, have meals or, you know, this forest was saved because of Nancy Pelosi. Not really. Well, so, and, and let me ask, because I think I got this right, and if I don't, or you don't remember, that's fine. But on abortion, let's take that issue. I would argue that Nancy Pelosi had a chance to codify abortion into law and did not do it. When she had the majority and the, the presidency, she could have codified it, and she didn't. And I think the politi- political calculation if there was one, is that Democrats, and it turned out to be right, Democrats are better off with being able to say Republicans are trying to take away all abortion. And politically, that's a better move for them. But it did not help if you're trying to help women keep the right to abortion under law. You didn't, Nancy Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi did no good to women. 
in that position. What say you, Ted? Do you see what I'm, am I right that she could have codified it at one point? Well, okay, so a hundred percent. Well, so there's two. There's two. There's two answers to that question. I mean, and they're both yes. Um, the one is she absolutely uh, in 2009, 2010, when there was a uh, supermajority in the United States Senate of 60 Democratic votes under Obama. Uh, there was absolutely the opportunity for the House of Representatives to pass, for the president to sign, and for the Senate to sign uh, to to pass. Uh, codification of Roe v. Wade. No question about that. At the time, Obama was asked about it because he had promised to do that when he during the campaign. Then he he backed away from it and said that it was not a priority. There was apparently some concern while trying to fight for the ACA that uh, if the abortion debate entered into it, there would be a whole discussion of whether the ACA would pay for abortions and that that would lose a few key votes that they needed. And that's apparently the calculus that they had at the time. Um, but what they could have done uh, every time they had a, a House majority, even without the supermajority in the Senate, they still could have passed the law in the same way that uh, the, the House Republicans repeatedly voted to overturn, over get rid of the ACA, even though that didn't go through. But like by passing, by with the House holding a vote, they could have, she could have gotten House Republicans on the record as being opposed to abortion rights, and then in purple districts used those votes in attack ads to undermine them in re-election campaigns. So she really squandered an opportunity. I feel like when an issue is popular with the broad majority of the American people, which abortion is, uh, with except you know obviously within constraints, uh, then you should try to get your opponents to vote against it so that you can beat them up later. Democrats repeatedly failed to do this, and this was just another example. And we talked about it with Malik Abdul the other day from Mar-a-Lago. A lot of Republicans think that Lindsey Graham, by trying to pass a national ban on abortion, actually cost Republicans the Senate. Have you heard that, Ted? I ha- it certainly didn't help, right? I mean, it was a... I mean, I think it was viewed as Republican overreach because for years, Republicans have told us that uh, this, if Roe v. Wade were ever overturned, it would merely go back to the states. And here you have Lindsey Graham, you know, months, weeks after Dobbs saying, well, actually, we want to go national. It was like too much too soon. You know, he, but it, I do agree it was a mistake. Yes. And, and by the way, none of the people uh, in Marjorie Taylor Greene Lauren Boebert, or those people, the new breed of people in Congress, you notice they're all pro-life, but they weren't pushing for what Graham was pushing for. Even they have enough political. And Graham is too savvy. I think Graham had to know what he was doing because Lindsey Graham knows politics. I don't agree with him on, on a lot of things, but I don't think this uh, was an innocent mistake, Ted. Do you understand my suspicion? Um, no. What, what are you saying? I'm saying I think Graham d- did not want to really give a victory to Trump. Graham has always been a fair-weather Trump supporter. And mm. I think at the end, at the end of the day, uh, Graham is an ally of John McCain and the establishment part of the party. So, I so, think so you're that saying actually— so you're saying it's a poison pill. pill. It was a poison pill, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Wow, that's fascinating. That's yeah, and I'll uh, I, watch this. Rod from Philly, our producer. Rod, do you agree with my suspicion? Yeah, I agree with that. A lot of people, a lot of people came to that conclusion when he first came out on Fox and said that. Yeah, so I'm I, I'm pointing out to Ted that I'm not alone, nut Ted. I sometimes <laughs> am, but on this issue, no, really, a lot of Republicans think that. Especially, I don't want to say. Trump Republicans, because a lot of them are skeptical of Trump now after he, he was attacking DeSantis and others. Although Trump seems, have you noticed this said, Trump seems, he was spazzy around election day. That's when he said the, the sanctimonious thing. But he's, have you noticed that since then, Trump seems to have calmed down. He seems to have regained his balance and not free falling. And do you remember in the 2016 election, people think that Trump was one way. But when Bannon took over, Trump was 16 points down. And people have to remember, Trump changed strategy. So what did you think of Trump's announcement? And do you think he's shown any ability to change as a candidate over time? Ted Rawl. Uh, you know, he's, no, I agree with you. He definitely has had that ability to change. Um, he has uh, many times uh, pivoted, and, um, you know, I, I expect him to do so. He's a, he's a canny dude. Even on a, um, excuse me, on a very basic level, uh, he, uh, you know, at his rallies, one of his big shticks is to run off at the mouth, say a lot of things, uh, notice things that get applause lines, applause. And then use those and, and hone those lines and repeat them. Rinse, lather, repeat. Anything that falls flat goes over like a, dead, like a lead balloon. He doesn't repeat. So he's not stupid at all. Um, I kind of disagreed with the conventional wisdom that his, uh, that his announcement was low energy. I mean, it wasn't manic, but he was reading most of it. Um, and, you know, that he tends to be more flat when he's reading. Uh, I think he was nervous. Uh, uncharacteristically so, but I also don't think it really much matters. I mean, only geeks like us are watching the announcement speech. In, in these and people are going to pay. They pay more and more attention as election day gets closer, and people already know Donald Trump. So if you love him, you love. You still love him. If you hate him, you still hate him. There's not a lot of movement either way in the middle. Uh, you know, I think uh, he in the end. It'll come down to if it's a Biden versus Trump rematch. It'll be it'll come down to you know which which presidency did you like better? Which one do you remember more fondly? And I don't think January sixth or any of this other stuff is going to make a difference. Now, Ted, let's talk about the future of the Democrats because not just Nancy Pelosi has stepped down, but also other key Democratic leaders like Steny Hoyer are no longer there. What do you think? Because it's now a power vacuum, literally. And the guy I'm seeing that wants to take over for Pelosi as speaker, I don't know. He's not a well-known Democrat. What do you think is a possibility? And what would you... Let me ask you this way. First, let's do this in a positive way. What would you like to see happen? Because I'm sure this will be better and less depressing than what they actually have planned. So, Ted Rawl, 
if you were king of everything and you could magically make the Democrats do something that you think would be smart for the Democrats, what would you have them do? Well, it's a tough question, Lee, because, I mean, you know, there's two. I don't think that the Speaker of the House is really like the policy king of the House of Representatives. Um, it's not really like that person. That person corrals votes. That person does not determine policy. They tend to be more like the fact that Nancy Pelosi was a, you know, I mean, you can kind of look at her record. Uh, you know, historically, she was really more of a progressive Democrat, and she moved more and more to the right, and now she's a corporatist. Um, and she and she's crushing the progressive wing of her party. So this is about, you, you want someone who can corral the votes. And so you, for that, you need someone with institutional experience who's broadly respected and feared. And that's not really going to be someone who a Ted Rawl person. I mean, if we're just looking for symbolism, I would love if the, you know, the torch were passed to someone like AOC, um, you know, as, as speaker. But I don't think she'd be a, an effective speaker. I don't think she could do it. She's too young. She hasn't been there long enough. She doesn't, she's not respected by enough people. She couldn't, she doesn't have the muscle. She can't scare anybody. So, you know, it's kind of like, if you're just going by ideology is the wrong metric for this job. The presidency is about ideology, uh, not not the speakership. And speaking of the presidency, where do you think the midterms put Joe Biden? And I, I, I would say, given what we've seen from the House of Republicans already, first off, this issue is not going away. It's not going away. And there's real crimes at root that have been exposed. Would you agree with that assessment, Ted, that it was it's it's not going away, the laptop issues. Oh, it's just getting started. <laughs> no question. I think even the Republicans are going to be surprised when they really roll up their sleeves and like start to analyze uh, what's on there and they start to depose witnesses and subpoena documents. Uh, there's going to be, you know, we're going to have some sort of Alexander Butterfield moment uh, where someone's going to say something and everyone's going to be like, uh, wait, 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 what? <laughs> and uh, that's going to happen. Um, I mean, this is, it's a treasure trove of information about institutional corruption at the highest level. So, you know, it's, it, if I were Joe Biden, in all seriousness, I would resign right now and just to spare myself the trouble. So that's an interesting, that, that answers the other question I asked, which is, where do you think this puts Joe Biden? Before the Republicans did that, press conference yesterday. After the midterms, did you think Joe Biden was in a good position after the midterms, Ted Rawl? Well, I mean, it's it's kind of amazing, right? The, the Democrats lost the election and they're taking a victory lap. And the Republicans won the election and they're beating each other up with internecine warfare. So it's the most perverse thing in the world. I mean, Democrats beat the, and Joe Biden beat the spread and they're acting, but you know that doesn't get you the Super Bowl ring. Um, so th it's it's really strange that like that this is happening this way. I mean, the way I look, another way to look at it is there were two bullets headed toward the Democrats. They dodged one, but they got hit by the other one, and they're on their way to the hospital now. So yeah, I don't know what they're celebrating, but it's so, a um, and, and it's it's strange. Ted, 
We don't have a couple of minutes left, but great appearance as always, and thank you for coming on the show. What is your take on the supposed Russian missile that hit Poland that was really a Ukrainian missile? Did you have any thoughts on that incident, Ted Rawl? Well, yeah, no, I mean, uh, it, it, it was a terrifying day a couple of days ago. We were uh, you know, close to World War III. I'd really love to know what our defense condition was over at NORAD during that time. I mean, it's terrifying because it seems like uh, while uh, you know the, the uh, Americans and the and the French and the other Western powers, including Poland, were trying to ascertain what was going on uh, and and were trying to to stay cool about it. President Zelensky of Ukraine was a hothead and was trying to urge NATO, which he's not a member of, to invoke Article Five, which would have led to World War Three. I mean, which turned out to be fault. And here's the part that is really troublesome to me. Let's just say, for the sake of argument, that it had been a Russian missile that had been accidentally fired across the border into Poland, had just gone off target. So would that have been grounds for World War III? I mean, I certainly hope not. I mean, it's terrible about the two Polish people who died, but I really, I mean, it, it just reminds, this whole episode really shows the danger of NATO and the, intertw- the intertwined alliances uh, in this structure. And it's the same exact thing that led to the outbreak of World War I. Uh, I think it's NATO is a Cold War relic that should be abolished. It, is, uh, it's, it's doesn't, you know, it doesn't create international security. It creates international insecurity by making everything like a stack like a like a like a line of dominoes where if one goes they all go and so ted roll last thing honestly send me an invoice i want to get my ted roll custom caricature so send okay. me an email about that and i'll send okay, it back will. to you thank you very much ted roll right. great parents as always the great ted roll you can check out his website at r-a-l-l Dot com. You can buy his books, graphic novels, and other stuff there. Thanks so much, Ted Rawl. Let's take a short break, and we'll come back with more on The Backstory. And back for the second hour, the final hour of the week, on the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. I'm Lee Stranahan, and this is The Backstory. So I want to thank, once again, the great Ted Rawl for joining us in the first hour. You know, Ted's maybe a comedy, Rod, but he always makes me feel insane. I'm sorry, scratch that. He always makes you feel sane. He's a calming, rational force, I would say. Do you agree, Ted? I mean, Rod? (laughs) Yeah, no, no, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, he doesn't fit the uh, stereotype of what people say about uh, about communists. And I think he reaffirmed my view that this Republican move, I have reason, I think, to be optimistic 
I expect big things from the GOP. And I, I don't expect the Democrats to roll, roll over like puppy dogs, but I expect that the GOP will be out there doing the work that they need to do and aggressively. Does that make sense, Ron? Right, yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that as well. Now, joining us on the show this hour is the great Addie Ads, who's down in Brazil, so Rod can torture me in my 17-degree apartment. So, we're taking your calls also, 202-521-1320. And let's do the final boom of the week, Rod, won't you please? You're listening to the best show on the radio, The Backstory. And let's go to calls, 202-521-1320. Tarif from Louisiana, one of our great calls on the backstory. Hey, Tarif, what's on your mind? Um, uh, how you doing? Thank you for um, taking my call. First, I'd like to say free joining signs. Um, okay. You know, Musk is cutting down on Twitter. From what I understand, he got under 50, 50 employees working now. And for what I, uh, I read a thread yesterday, they're saying what he's doing is what they're doing in in large corporations already. They put pressure on people to see which ones is the ones that work hard and the ones that just dare just to be there. And he finds out who is who, and he starts locking out people left and right. So um, that's the key, what he's doing. And a lot of those people that's leaving is going to be your activists. You know, that's probably people that's, that have been shadow battling us. Search banning us, ghost banning us, making our tweets disappear and things like that. Hopefully, that's the ones that's leave. Well, I think I think um, Musk giving the ultimatum to his Twitter employees was a great move. I think when you're running a business, you do not want people who are not enthusiastic to be there. It, Rod, do you agree? Well, they were enthusiastic to be there, Lee, uh, but once Musk took over. Not anymore. So now they were uh, right. detrim- detrimental to his company. Exactly right. If they don't like the new boss, they will undoubtedly. And it's why, you know, supposedly jobs want two weeks nose, right? That's the theory. Jobs want two weeks nose. But my experience is that a lot of times when I've quit a job, they said, good, bye. Get your box with your stuff and get out now. And they don't give you a two-week period because they know during that two weeks, some people will actively sabotage your company and some of them will just do a lousy job. So asking people at Twitter, look, if you don't want to be here, don't be here. No one's making you. I thought that was very smart. What say you, Rod? Yeah, I thought it was also a little little funny, you know, because then also a lot of these people – like self-tweeted themselves, these uh, salute emojis or recorded themselves. And these people looked, looked, sounded like exactly what I expected them to be. Uh, Lee. So, um, you know, it, it's good that, that Musk got rid of him. And then I'm pretty sure he's got a whole bunch of applications for people who would be happy to uh, restore, you know, his vision of free speech. Because he, he also said no to Alex Jones, but uh, he's, he's reinstated a few other people. Uh, and and I, let me point out that... Uh, I would have the same view if Musk took a different view on free speech. I would say as the owner of a company, you have to, you know, basically the problem Trump had going to presidential politics is I think he 
And I understand the problem. He took a lot of people. I think in his next term, anyone who served previously for any administration, you've got to cut them out. Does it make sense, Rod? Because I think they have mixed loyalties. Anyone. Is that too radical, Rod? Oh, no, 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 for sure, Lee. I think if he were to try to come back, and um, you already see now that Ivanka says that she doesn't want to be a part of politics, but I don't really believe that. I think she just doesn't, at the moment, see her dad winning, so that's why she doesn't want to be a part of it. But if he were to win, she'd be right there with Jared, right back in the, in the fold in D.C. And her, her husband can talk her into it, you know. Exactly, exactly. So but, people like uh, that, people like that, you know, even though you're, they're blood-related, no. So, any other points, Sharif? Great call. Yeah, um, uh, when the Republicans take over and start doing investigations, they can really hurt the Democrats real bad once they start cutting off certain funding. Now, Mary Taylor Greene, I, um, I missed a one-hour of your show. I don't know if y'all went over this, but she reported to say oh, that yeah. Republicans, yes. Republicans need to refuse the funding of Merrick Garlic Special Counsel for the next two years, which is a good thing. You know, they can block the funding. Because Trump already been uh, um, investigated like 50,000 times already. So why do you need a special counsel for him again for the same thing? So you, you know it's a hit job that they're doing on him. So right, because the, the DOJ wants to have a special prosecutor for Donald Trump, Rod. What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, come on. <laughs> it seems like it's a retaliation for Republicans investigating Biden. They're trying to get the the weekend news cycle going against Trump. Right. And did you see Donald Trump Jr.'s crack smoking with whores in his laptop? Oh, no, wait, that's just Biden's kid. Because, that again, it's not the most important part of the laptop, but it is the most shocking part. And it is the part I'm going to keep goofing on. Because, you know, it just shows how corrupt. I think that shows the level of corruption with Hunter Biden. Do you agree, Rod? Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, uh, if you remember during the 2016 election, people were wearing uh, like InfoWars shirts. I think people should get print out, you know, photos from uh, Hunter Biden's, uh, you know, obviously not nothing too crazy, but some of those photos, like maybe him weighing crack and just wear it out, out in public and, you know, get people to start, start having that circulate. Because I, I trust the Republicans now to make the case that it's about Biden. It's about what the laptop exposes about Joe Biden. I think that's a good point. Thanks for the culture, Reeve. Great call. Now you can call the show, 202-521-1320. So uh, I, I, I've said a few times that I'm very happy the Republicans are off to a, a good start, in fact, a very good start. And I don't think they're going to relent. But we know the Democrats are going to push back. Do you think, Rod, that this move by the DOJ to investigate Trump is just trying to change the subject? Yeah, of course, Lee. I mean, they've had all this time. They have Letitia James in New York and, you know, all these different people uh, trying to trying to say he's, you know, either it's taxes or so, some type of illegal influence he's had. Um, you know, and they haven't been able to get him anything. That's why, you know, in a way, I'm not trying to praise Donald Trump, but he has kind of been the Teflon Don. You know, he, they haven't been able to get him with anything. 
And, uh, you know, uh, um, Stormy Daniels had to pay him back money. She owed she owes him money. So, um, it, you know, it just is what it is. And it's just it's, like I said, they're just trying to get the news cycle going for the weekend. And like well, you say, for the Sunday show. Let me let me say this. I believe now think about this. There's a thin line between showing resilience and being whiny. And really, I think it's a thin line. Resilience, everybody you know, praises. They admire someone who's resilient. But whiny, people don't like so much. So there's a thin line because both of them have the same root. People who are resilient and people who are whiny are stubborn. They won't let it go. Does that make sense, Rod? That there's a good side and a bad side to being stubborn and not letting things go. But you yeah, see, no, I, I, yeah, I agree. I agree with you. That I agree with and you. And you see the nexus between resilience. In other words, if you say I'm not going to quit, you know, if, if if let's say I'm not talking about anything personal, but uh, if your wife comes to you and says I want a divorce, and you're like I'm not fight, I'm not giving up that easy, and you stick with it, and you eventually get back together, people will praise you because you're resilient. But at a certain point, if she really doesn't want to get back with you, five years down the road, you're just a whining loser. Stop whining. Give it up. Dude, you're not getting her back. Does that make sense? That in some cases, it depends on the outcome. No, no, for sure. That makes sense, Lee, in that scenario, yeah. And so I, my fear is if Donald Trump complains about the election too much, even the 2016 election, there are people who will say, Mr. Trump, I don't hate you. And I agree you were robbed. But come on, man, stop talking about it. For God's sakes, stop talking about it. Because to use my marriage analogy, let's say the wife had done everything wrong, which is unlikely. But let's say the wife had done everything wrong. There are friends of you as the guy who's not letting go after five years who might say, you know what? You were right. But uh, you know but you know what, Lee? Uh, I agree with you that. But on, on the election, I think across the country, we're starting to see a lot of people uh, still very upset. You know, I know the news media does not want to cover it. They're, and they're not even allowed to cover it. But, uh, you know, I had, I had sent you that clip earlier and it's gone viral. Uh, this guy's. I guess he he goes to these uh these meetings a lot in Arizona, but he was talking about you know the the corrupt uh, his name's Matt Baker down in Arizona, uh you know he's pretty much p- putting these uh, corrupt officials on blast and I saw some another person in Texas and so you know this is this is this isn't going to go away as far as you know people upset about these elections and how they're going these machines and mail you know the the whole thing. Now, as I say, we're getting ready for a weekend. For some people, it's a three-day weekend, but we do not have Veterans Day off. We are taking next Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. Is it next Friday, Rod? That's correct. So next Friday we have off. So don't worry about us. We'll be back. But Thursday, Friday next week, we're off for Thanksgiving. Do you have plans, Rod? Uh, Don't worry. I'm not going to invite you over. <laughs> no, I don't have a I don't have a, a a sled with wolves to get to get to you, Lee. So uh, no, I can't. Um, but no, just probably just uh, eat with the family. You know, uh, go back to Philly and eat, eat the family and uh, for a couple of days. That's about it. So that's not an option for me. But uh, 
I have no invites. So I'm looking at going to a restaurant, I think. But I don't want to, because it's Epstein time for me, Rod, if I do this. You know, one restaurant I could go to is Cracker Barrel. For thanks, they're open for Thanksgiving, but the idea of eating Thanksgiving at a Cracker Barrel and not immediately drinking arsenic—I don't know. I just don't see it. So uh, those are my Thanksgiving plans. But we're getting ready for a weekend here in Sioux Falls, and I thought I would like hearing great clips from Senator Josh Howley. Now you know this. Do you agree with me, Rod? That these are just fun clips. Josh Howley is a good talker. Do you yeah. agree? Yeah, that's 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 what he's good at talking. Yeah. So let's let's hear the first one. Command Central, fire when ready. Josh Howley, which one should, should Ray be Pace first? For vacation. Ray Pace for vacation. Yeah, the vacation. Because he ducked out of a Senate questioning, and it turned out he went on vacation in the Adirondacks. Here's Josh Howley. Asking Christopher Ray about that. Hit it. You left an oversight hearing before the Senate Judiciary Committee required by statute so you could vacation with your family. I find that absolutely unbelievable and frankly indefensible. Now, is it your practice to use government planes? You say you do this all the time. You flew in a Gulfstream 550, I think, that was originally purchased for counterterrorism purposes. You were using it to go to, what is it, Saranac Lake? Is that how I say it? I've never been there. Is that is that the right pronunciation? Saranac Lake? That was your destination? Yes. So, did you enjoy the flight? I mean, did you pay for it? Yes, I paid for it. Will you turn over all receipts and reimbursement to this committee? Senator, we will be happy to comply with oversight requests related to the use of the plane, as I said, and it's important for people to understand. I, I want to just give me a I, yes. When I, will, I, will you turn over the receipts for your flight? I will turn over flight, the information related to committee. my use of the plane. The use of the plane, I am required, not just permitted, required, even for personal travel, to use the FBI plane. How convenient and for I you. Pay, and I pay every single time that I use the plane for personal I'm glad it's available for you to jet away from your statutorily required hearings and oversight before this Congress, where you denied the ability of members of Congress to ask you questions because you had to go on a personal vacation using a government plane. Now, that's just fun. You've got to admit, Rod, Josh Howley is going after Christopher Ray there. And uh, he didn't answer one question. And I'm going to ask it. Josh Howley didn't. Rod, what do you bet Christopher Ray does not pay what you and I would pay to rent a Gulfstream? <laughs> I would you say how much you want to bet? I would bet a thousand dollars on that. I'd bet a thousand dollars. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't make bets like that, but I'd bet a thousand dollars. So my guess is Chris Ray's got a deductible, basically, right? In other words, they'll say five hundred dollars, and then the flight costs twenty thousand or whatever. Does that make sense, Rod? Yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm. He's probably playing chump change, but he's. he's I'm, I'm pretty sure we'll see. They'll have the record of this, and you, you know he'd be paying pennies on the dollar. So we have another plane clip, right, with Holly? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, okay, so I'm I'm not looking at the list right now, Rod. That's why I need help because my iPad's actually kind of broken. So let's play the second clip. This Ray, the, Ray, the Family Guy. 
Right. Josh Howley versus Chris Ray. And it's just fun. Listen, hit it. To visit with you was back in August, August 4th of this year. You were at the Senate Judiciary Committee. You remember that, I assume. We had to cut that hearing short. We were supposed to do two rounds of questions. You said you had to be somewhere, so we cut it short. Republicans were not able to ask a second round as we had been informed we would. The press reported shortly thereafter that the reason that the hearing had to be cut short is because you were flying on a Gulfstream jet for a personal vacation in the Adirondacks. Please tell me that's not accurate. Senator, the hearing was cut short, was not cut short from my experience. We had agreed beforehand on the time and, and, uh, and length of it. And my, I was very surprised to find that the Any Mountain Committee was surprised. Uh, as to how I uh, fly, I am required not only uh, permitted but required to fly uh, on uh, an FBI plane wherever I go. That's so, so you were going on vacation? I was, yes. So you left a statutorily required oversight hearing in order to go on a personal vacation in the Adirondacks? I took a flight to go visit my family uh, as had been previously arranged in conjunction no, no, with no. the leadership of the committee. The ranking member, Chuck Grassley, asked you during the hearing, he said, I assume you must have other business. You said, yes. He then said, if you have a business trip, you've got your own plane, can't it wait a while? He then said, Chuck Grassley, we only just heard half an hour ago that now you have to leave. We were going to have a seven-minute round followed by a three-minute round. I've got seven people on my side of the aisle, that included me who are waiting for this additional round, is there any reason we can't accommodate them for 21 minutes? And you said you had a plane to catch. You had somewhere to go. And now we find out it was for vacation? The, the reference to other business was not a reference to that day. It was a reference to the following week where Senator Grassley and I were going to see each other in Iowa when I had other business in Iowa, and I did, in fact, see him then. So wait, you had to leave the hearing early because you had you're going to see him later in Iowa in a week? No, I had to leave uh, when I said I was going to have to leave, as had been previously organized with the leadership of the committee. <laughs> you, you left an oversight hearing before the Senate Judiciary Committee required by statute so you could vacation with your family. I find that absolutely unbelievable and, frankly, indefensible. Now, now also... Rod, I don't know if you've ever flown on jet. Have you? No, I haven't. I never, I never flown on a jet yet. So back in the day when I worked for New Jack, we had a corporate jet. I was sometimes flying the jet. So let me tell you something about jets. You don't miss a flight. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's waiting Chris, for you. It's wait. It's waiting for you. It's like a taxi, so it's waiting for right. you. Right. Chris Ray said he'll miss a flight. What, the pilot was going to take off with your family, Christopher? I don't think so. I don't think they were going to take off with your family and go to New York without you. I think they would have waited the 20 minutes. Do you see my point? He's the reason that they're waiting for him, you know, so it wouldn't have taken off without him because it's the FBI. It's the FBI jet. But they're not the FBI. Because it's unlike a regular commercial plane. You drive up to the plane, get out of the car, then walk the few feet to the plane, something you don't normally do. On a commercial, you know, on American or United or Southwest or whatever. So they're waiting for him. And that is a lie, too. Now, 
is the the next uh, clip that we have with Ray. Is it the part where he's talking about the DHS? Yeah, he's talking with uh, Mayorkas, the uh, censorship czar. So let's play that. Hit it. Say that. A federal judge has just found as a finding of fact, Mr. Secretary, that your office, and I'm going to quote now, is supervising the nerve center of federally directed censorship. It's a federal judge in a federal lawsuit. You are supervising the nerve center of federally directed censorship. Here's another email, August 20th, 2021. Facebook writes again to HHS and highlights that Facebook is increasing the strength of our demotions for COVID and vaccine-related content. April 16th, 2021, Rob Flaherty at the White House circulates a Zoom meeting invitation to Twitter employees stating White House staff will be briefed by Twitter on vaccine misinformation. We have example after example of this administration coordinated, apparently, according to a federal court, by your agency, pressuring, coercing social media companies to engage in censorship. Is that constitutional? That is unequivocally false. Is what the emails show. It is unequivocally false, Senator. You are not pressuring the big tech companies to take down accounts. You are not meeting with them to ask them to censor on your behalf. That is correct. We are not. You're not having any meetings with them whatsoever. Uh, we meet with um, the tech companies. How often? To address, to address the Homeland Security mission. How- and they redefined the Homeland Security mission about stopping censorship. Rod, let me make a prediction for the next four years. Okay? At least next two. Because the House may fall the Democrats after two years. But for the next two years, while the Republicans are in charge of Congress, let me predict you'll have lots of officials denying things that are plainly true. Time and time again, they'll just say, nope. Do you agree that that's what we have to look forward to for the next couple of years? People denying things that everybody can see with their own eyes. Rod? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, like the FBI uh, guy, Timothy Tebolt, who's in charge, was in charge of the Hunter Biden, suppressing the Hunter Biden, Dr. Fauci and, and things like that. We're just going to see uh, hearing after hearing of these people just straight up lying. You see my orcas, he lie, lie, lie. And they says, well, and then, he, you know, what I mean, so you got to keep asking the same question at least six, seven times. Right. And uh, so it's outrageous. But those clips, I really enjoyed them. Josh Howley is a bit of a pit bull. And uh, hopefully, with backing from the House Republicans, he can be more effective. What do you say to that, Rod? Yeah, let's let's see. You know, like I said, like I said earlier to you, he does a lot of talking, but let's see if he can put any action. So, Rod, let's go to Brazil, shall we? Let's go to Rio. Okay. So coming up right after this, we are going to Rio, not really, but on the phone. Addy adds the great young investigative reporter who did so much great work on the Epstein story. He's now down in Brazil getting to the bottom of the Bolsonaro-Lula election. And we'll talk to him right after this break on the backstory.
back for the last half hour of the week of the greatest show, The Backstory. I'm Lee Stranahan, and this is The Backstory. So joining us now, great friend of the show, the great investigative reporter who did so much good work on the Epstein story, Addie Adds. Hey, Addie, how you doing? I'm doing great, Lee. Thanks for having me on again. I have to say, sir, you're the first person to interview me while I'm here in Brazil. So I appreciate it, as, as always, Lee and Rod. Well, so let, let me say, and I say this with love and respect, Addie, you bastard. I'm in 17-degree <laughs> weather in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. What's the weather like in Brazil right now? Be honest. It, honestly, it was hailing uh, in my taxi ride on the way over here back to back to my home base. Uh, it's been raining pretty much all week. Today was the first really nice day. Uh, it literally started raining again about an hour ago. But uh, yeah, it's been a, pretty much a downpour for most of the week. But nonetheless, the people of Brazil are showing out and uh, momentum actually uh, seems to be increasing. Uh, the truckers just started uh, a strike today. So uh, it, it does seem like things are, are trending upwards and growing as opposed to the opposite. Well, because I've seen huge pictures. And by the way, let me point out, you know, you know, we love and respect you. And you did great work when you were hanging out outside the courtroom in the Gasoline Maxwell trial on the Epstein story for weeks at a time. And we felt bad for you because there you are out on the streets of New York. But now, it's hard to feel bad for you as an interpreter. Couldn't you find a scandal in Fiji or Hawaii? What's wrong with you, Addy? <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, it's it's hard to feel bad for a guy who's uh, who's spending his his time in Brazil when it's getting really cold back in the states, and certainly in the Mountain West and the Midwest, uh, where where Lee and I uh, uh, often find ourselves. I know your home base is up there, uh, Lee. But uh, yeah, when I fly back into Chicago, it's gonna be it's gonna be quite a wake up call. Yes, indeed. And, and so now, now I had seen. I'm I'm really glad you're down there because what I know is I had seen pictures on Twitter of huge crowds in Brazil. There was the election Lula versus Bolsonaro, and they, they seem to be having huge protests still about that election. So why did you head down there, Addy? Aside from the sun and beach, but the why? But, but I mean it seriously. Why did you head down there? What was interesting? And is it your first time in Brazil? Yes, it is. It is my first time in Brazil. Uh, unfortunately, I don't speak Portuguese, uh, but my Spanish has helped us uh, a couple times, and you can generally get your point across. Uh, I'm writing and reporting for the National File right now, so uh, I'm here sponsored by the National File, writing for them. Uh, and uh, as always, writing and reporting for the people of the United States uh, as well and liberty lovers everywhere. But uh, yeah, principally for the National File, never been to Brazil before. Uh, I just finished up covering uh, the election stuff, uh, particularly in Georgia. Uh, and uh, I didn't even know I was coming here until Sunday morning. And 24 hours later, I was in Brazil. So it's been uh, it's been a whirlwind week, uh, to say the least, Lee. Now, what what I'm seeing are big crowds, huge crowds. However, I think that this is also a case where the big crowds are in favor of Bolsonaro, right? But there are pro Lula supporters too, taking to the streets. Is that accurate or is it only one side that you're seeing, Addy? 
Yeah, it's uh, that's an interesting question, Lee, and uh, it's something that actually uh, was explained. Uh, we interviewed this guy. Just wrote this story about this uh, this chef. He's a culinary uh, artist. Uh, he actually was on Top Chef Brazil, and uh, he, believe it or not, was talking about uh, the civilian army. Uh, and, and for those that don't, I didn't know this, but Brazilians are allowed to be armed. They're allowed to have firearms and ammunition uh, if they go through the right channels. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, somewhat similar to the United States, although far less people have uh, firearms here. Uh, but the quote from uh, from him was they're willing to uh, to basically put their blood on the line if necessary. But uh, nonetheless, they don't want war. They don't want conflict then they don't want violence. And uh, it's been a very, very calm. I've, uh, I've, you know, the Brazilian people are some of the most relaxed people I've ever encountered. Uh, we were just talking about it uh, earlier today. We pulled up next to uh, next to someone at a gas station and, and asked them for directions, and and that was a totally normal normal interaction. Where uh, is in the West or in the United States, you do that. Uh, depending on where you are, you might get a weapon drawn on you. You know, it's it's just a different culture. It's a lot more laid back. Uh, but as far as the left or right thing. Uh, the chef, his name is Vinny. I just posted an article on the National File about it. He uh, made the uh, the point that they're really about pro-liberty. They're really a, a protesting censorship, uh, which has been extremely overt. Uh, and it's not so much a pro-Bolsonaro a rally uh, that maybe the mainstream media is painting it out uh, to be. And, and honestly, you might be able to uh, to comment on that better than than I do. Uh, you know. Because outside of Brazil, it's it's kind of a bubble. There's many stories that the international media just have not been been picking up. But yeah, principally, it's been uh, a lot of Bolsonaro supporters for sure. But uh, mostly, people are, are really against the censorship. And uh, there, if we're gonna have an antagonist in this uh, this storyline, it's one Alexander de Moraes, and he is a member of the uh, Brazilian equivalent to the Supreme Court, and he's overextended his power uh, as well. He he now has legislative power. Uh, so he's not only uh, uh, enforcing laws, but uh, legislating them uh, as well. And exactly how he achieved that, I'm still figuring it out. But people are terrified of this guy, Lee. They're terrified of him. His name is Alexander de Moraes. And uh, speaking of antagonists, uh, this guy gives John Brennan a run for his money in terms of looking like a very scary dude, a very scary a antagonist. And he uh, is very pro-Lula. And the, the other thing, too, is the election, of course, the election, uh, which is kind of the elephant in the room, depending on what country you're from. They have a big problem with, just like many Americans, electronic voting systems. And that is something that they demanded, uh, paper ballots. Uh, they lost that battle. Uh, but as Vinny said, uh, the, the chef I interviewed, he said, we lost the battle, but we have not lost the war. And they have no plans to stop until they, they see some of their demands met and changes implemented and kind of the hard and fast deadline is the first day of next year. It's January 1st, 2023, when per the Brazilian government, that change of power is supposed to happen. Now, is Bolsonaro going to uh, calmly or peacefully uh, let that transfer happen? He he did what some have described as a soft concession. Uh, it wasn't a, an enthusiastic one, uh, but his VP, kind of his lieutenant, who is actually uh, the first uh, vice president of indigenous descent from Brazil. So he's a native uh, Brazilian. Uh, and I actually interviewed a, a native tribal chief uh, the other day as well. He gave a, he gave a shout out to Donald Trump, uh, one of the tribal chiefs here. He endorsed Donald Trump. Uh, uh, but he came out and, and basically was 
kind of saying what uh, the president uh, couldn't, what Bolsonaro couldn't uh, about the election. Uh, and uh, nonetheless, the, the defense minister, which is kind of the equivalent to the secretary of war, now called the secretary of defense in our country, uh, he made a statement today. Uh, basically, he just said, just be calm. Uh, he didn't tell people to go home. Uh, so you kind of have to read between the lines, you know, likewise with with politicians in any country. So uh, it does seem to be a movement that uh, continues to grow. But as far as I can tell, I think I'm the only international journalist here. Uh, I, I don't know that for sure, but we haven't met anyone else. And, and there's very few English speakers here as well. Now, so Addy, do you have any idea if the mega indigenous chief knows the QAnon shaman? And whether they're going down the Rio Brand River in the rainforest to do ayahuasca, possibly. <laughs> I, I actually don't know that. Um, I don't know uh, what's the status quo of the QAnon shaman, uh, but I doubt he knows him. Uh, he probably doesn't even know what QAnon is. Uh, we had a translator. Uh, he was speaking Portuguese. Uh, and he also speaks, I, I don't know what the language is called. Uh, I'm guessing it's some sort of native Creole. That's their native language, uh, but they also speak Portuguese uh, as well. And you can definitely tell the natives and the, the indigenous people apart from the other Brazilians. But uh, another very interesting comment I got from a woman was, uh, as far as they could remember, uh, these this woman and the, the people she was with, it seems to be the first time that Brazilians, uh, non-indigenous and indigenous are coming together in mass uh, for an issue uh, like this. It, it's the first time in their memory. Uh, that that has happened. So uh, that's another thing, too, which uh, maybe you can speak on. Uh, uh, you know, there's a, a wide array of, of people uh, in Brazil, generally speaking. It's mostly a Roman Catholic country, but uh, perhaps uh, the most ethnically uh, diverse country in the world, uh, one of one of the most certainly. Uh, and, you know, you see all sorts of skin colors and, and body types and whatnot. You know, it's not just uh, one type of people. Uh, but if there is a, a characterization that we can make, it's probably working class. These are these are working class people. They're not elites. They're not rich. Uh, there are some wealthy people that are uh, part of the movement. Uh, but by and large, you know, these, these are working class people, uh, very organized. They had a medical tent set up. Uh, you know, somebody had an accident yesterday and, and we got to get that person uh, to the nurse uh, and the doctor who, who speaks English. I'm going to try to interview him uh, as soon as I can as well. Uh, so very organized, very peaceful. You got people selling uh, food, uh, selling drinks, selling T-shirts. I bought a Brazil hat because I needed I needed uh, one piece of Brazil uh, memorabilia. But uh, it's really, uh, really a diverse group of, of people that are demonstrating. And so it should also be pointed out that while you're in Brazil, the World Cup is throwing the big soccer, international soccer event. And Brazil, I know they love soccer or the, as they call it football down there correct are you seeing any bars talk about world yep. cup or stuff yeah yeah we, we've heard some chatter uh and that's something we we i was talking about um, i'm rolling around with some british texans uh, uh on the ground here uh so we got some ground ronins we got we got a team of ground ronins uh on, on the ground here uh, you know, picking up intel, talking to people, et cetera. Uh, and we, I was talking with them, and we were just discussing the possibility of Brazil winning the World Cup, how crazy that possibility would be. Uh, it, it, uh, football or soccer, the beautiful game, has been described as a game invented by the British and mastered by the Brazilians, who have the most World Cups uh, out of any country uh, in, uh, in, uh, on planet Earth. And uh, one thing, too, I want to drive home for American listeners is uh, this is this is like uh, the World Series and the Super Bowl combined and uh, multiplied by a factor of uh, five or six, let's say. 
Uh, it's the biggest sporting event in the world. And I know it's not the most popular sport in the States, but for the rest of the world, uh, it really is. So, uh, it could be, you know, uh, a perfect storm with Brazil possibly going deep, uh, deep into uh, that tournament. And that's relevant too, because of their superstar player, one of the best ball handlers, uh, in the world, Neymar, uh, was recently criticized by Lula. Uh, somebody, uh, some kind of perceived what Lula said to be a, a vague threat talking about taxes and, and how Lula is going to tax, uh, Neymar was kind of the implication. Uh, he's, he basically asserted that Bolsonaro was giving Neymar faulty or, uh, illegal, uh, tax cuts. Uh, but he's not the only uh, athlete who has spoken out. Uh, I met with an MMA fighter. He's a champion Mai Tai fighter. Uh, he fights, uh, I believe at one, one thirty-five. uh, uh that around a weight class, uh, and his name was Lucas and he came out and he demonstrated, we got to meet with him as well. Uh, so it, it's really been a cross section of, of many aspects of Brazilian society who see problems with the way this election was run, see problems with the overt censorship, uh, that has been going on. Speaking of that, I was hanging out with my British Texan friend. We were on the taxi on the way over here. Uh, I was talking to your producer and I couldn't log into my Facebook and it was really weird. They made me go through and they asked me uh, three times. It was like an endless loop. Are you sure you followed this person? And this person, uh, his name is Oswaldo uh, and I'll get you his full name later. I'm, I'm going to do a, a follow up interview, a story on it. He was actually uh, arrested three times by uh, the uh, Brazilian SPF, uh, kind of like their uh, a state police or, or, or FBI equivalent, I, I would compare it to. Uh, he was tortured, uh, and uh, he also had his arm broken, and he, he can't walk now as a result of how he was treated uh, in uh, in custody. He actually attempted to flee uh, to Mexico, and uh, he, he couldn't physically flee to the United States, uh, but he's not the only one. Some people uh, have already left uh, and are in the United States, and uh, that's something that's on people's minds too. Is uh, That's the last resort, though, from, from what people have been telling me, is they want to stand they want to stay here and fight, but uh, if need be, they are going to flee what they see as a a, a communist coup uh, of sorts. Now, and th those are, are those the people. Is any are any Lula's supporters worried about free speech, or is that all on the Bolsonaro side, Addy? That's a great question, Lee. Uh, I I need to find that out. I haven't interacted that I know of uh, with many Lula supporters. And uh, that's something that uh, I think has to do with the geography as well. The northeast of Brazil uh, is, is historically very corrupt. Uh, it was acted as kind of a slave port, uh, historically speaking. Many slaves brought over. But that is basically the only pocket of the country that can definitively be described as leaning towards Lula. Uh, it, it seems uh, by many estimates uh, of people I've talked to that some 70 percent of the country uh, had the support of Bolsonaro. I was just at a gun shop, uh, and crime has dropped since uh, the Brazilians have been allowed to arm themselves. Uh, and that's something too is, uh, you know, I had a, another uh, acquaintance I met. He bought another gun today. He said, "I'm not giving this back because uh, when they take power, they're going to take our weapons away." And they're, they're, these Brazilians are, are sure uh, sure of that. But uh, that army I mentioned, uh, it's some six hundred thousand strong. Uh, the majority of which I was told are are for the cause. Uh, of uh, of protesting and demonstrating against uh, the elections in terms of electronic voting systems uh, and the fact that there was no audit. Uh, there was no audit of uh, the system similar, <laughs> similar to the United States. There's so many parallels I see here with 
uh, Brazil and the United States. It almost seems like uh, the 2020 U.S. election is going on in Brazil. But I want to make something clear to people. Uh, these people cannot criticize uh, these people in power. And if you assert that the election was stolen, similar to the U.S. Uh, in many ways, uh, but not in a definitive way in that you will get arrested and you may be tortured as well. Uh, and it's it's scary stuff. I can I can feel the bravery. I can feel the courage, but I, I also can sense the paranoia and the, and the fear as well. So uh, nonetheless, uh, you know, bravery and courage, I, I think, are winning the day. Uh, huge crowds. And as I mentioned, as the weekend is drawn near, uh, the crowd seems to be uh, picking up uh, once again. And, and especially in light of this trucker strike. Uh, that we uh, we just commenced uh, today, which actually kind of threw a monkey wrench in a lot of people's uh, travel plans. So it seems like I got here at a good time. You know, and we mentioned the World Cup. You'd be able to enjoy the games there in Brazil more because it's being held. The World Cup is being held in Qatar this year. And today they announced they're banning beer finally from anywhere around where soccer games are being played. So you can have a nice cold beer in Brazil, right? But you can't have one yes, in Qatar. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, it's very, I, I don't know what their uh, religious affiliation is. Uh, if I had to guess, um, you know, I might say, uh, I, I don't want to guess, but I do know it's a very strict culture in Qatar. Uh, you know, women don't have very many rights. Uh, and like you it's, said, you know, there's. It's, uh, it's Islam. Okay, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. Uh, yeah, and, and you know, like like you mentioned, and I think similar to Saudi Arabia uh, and or the UAE, uh, I was talking to a mili military contractor who who used to work there. Uh, alcohol is, is you know largely banned, so that you know, nonetheless, I'm sure there's a black market for it. But yeah, it's kind of an interesting country that they chose for uh, for the World Cup. But you are correct. Brazilians do love their beer, and uh, they are still allowed to to drink beer here in Brazil. The the communists have not taken that away. Now, I would say it, it seems to me like the protests, the situation in Brazil, you're saying it seems like the U.S. 2020 election, but it actually seems like the U.S. 2024 election. It seems like, you know, they're not at a point of actively arresting people merely for saying that the election was up to shenanigans, but it's getting mm -hmm. close. So do you see what I'm saying? that it actually seems like they're a bit ahead of us in the U.S., Addy? Yes, yes, I, I, do. I do. I think you're rightly. I agree with you. They are further down the spectrum of authoritarianism, uh, and that's partially because they don't have the First Amendment. Uh, they do have, a, a, like I mentioned, a form of the Second Amendment, but uh, all of the demonstrators that I've spoken to about firearms are, are positive in their bones that if Lula takes power, uh, he will attempt to disarm uh, the population. Uh, so I, I would like to, you know, I'd be interested to see the, the firearm statistics. But uh, as I mentioned, acquaintance of mine just bought another firearm today, uh, Brazilian, native Brazilian. And uh, he, he, he told me, he's like, I'm not giving this up. And they're going to they're going to try to take it, uh, take it from us. But you mentioned the United States. We don't only have parallels here, Lee. We have direct connections uh, with one William Burns our current director of the Central Intelligence Agency, uh, as well as our current national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, who I hear whispers may be coming down to Brazil as of yesterday. Uh, but both those men visited Brazil uh, within the past year, and uh, Burns himself told Bolsonaro not to mess with the election machines. Uh, and if that's not a poker tale, I don't know what is. 
nonetheless, it's yet another example of the United States meddling in foreign elections. And we've seen this time and time again, particularly I brought up the CIA and William Burns. Uh, you know, we can have a whole show about all the coups they've done, uh, not just in Latin America, uh, but in Africa and in the Middle East as well. So, you know, my understanding of the political situation in Brazil, Lula and Bolsonaro, my my understanding is that Lula is not as obvious a puppet of the U.S. And it's because Lula is one of the people behind the BRICS concept, the alliance between Brazil, Russia, uh, uh, Iran, and uh, China, and I think you're seeing India in there as well. But the BRICS mm-hmm. nation, the U.S. doesn't like that. It's an alternate to the U.S. controlled, like the NATO or wh- whoever. So yeah. they don't like it. And Lula is one of the people behind BRICS. So he's not openly hostile to the U.S., but he's not at all hostile to Russia. And Bolsonaro is also not hostile to Russia. So the U.S. does not control, I think, either Bolsonaro or Lula. Does that make sense, Addy? I think you're right. I think that's a fair assessment, Lee. And I think that's why the CIA director himself flew out here last year, as well as NSA advisor Mr. Sullivan. They wouldn't be worried if they hadn't come all the way here themselves in person. I think you're right there. Brazil, uh, like many of those countries you listed, Lee, uh, is a rising power. They are becoming, uh, in fact, more powerful and, and more potent on the world stage uh, as opposed to trending the other way. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's extremely large country. Uh, it's very rich in resources and energy, uh, and it, it also provides a, a lot of the world's uh, food, uh, food as well. So, uh, you know, for all those reasons, uh, in addition to the fact that it's a very important drug trafficking port, uh, not just Brazil, uh, but South America in, in general. I don't want to get off, too off topic there because that's another another show entirely. Uh, but yeah, it, I think for all those reasons, that's why the, the brass of our intelligence uh, agencies and, and uh, our national security advisors uh, really have eyes on on Brazil right now. And uh, we'll see if they show up and make another appearance. But I did, I did hear a rumor that that was a possibility. Now, Addy, from what you're saying down there in Brazil, and these huge, I didn't I, I think there are huge, what, what I'm saying is there are very big riots, a lot of people taking the streets. And you talked today about a trucker strike, and that's when I think it starts to really piss off the governments locally. How's the trucker strike being met by the government or the authorities down there? What do they think about that? Yeah, so uh, I mentioned our our antagonist friend, uh, or or not friend, shall we say, Alexander de Moraes. He froze the bank accounts uh, of the truckers, all the truckers he could identify, froze their bank accounts. Where have we seen that before? We saw that in Canada uh, earlier uh, this year. I remember I was down there uh, in uh, Hagerstown covering our our version of the trucker protest. Uh, but uh, likewise, you know, they're going after the money, uh, and, and that's really the source uh, of control uh, for all these people, not to mention the CBDCs, which is, uh, again, a whole other uh, topic. But, uh, yeah, th- that is uh, – it's being met with uh, suppression, financial suppression, 
uh, and censorship, uh, as I mentioned as well, not just journalists, not just citizens, uh, but a member of the lower house, the chamber of deputies, Carla Zambelli, was purged from social media as well. So uh, it's politicians as well. Any Anybody that Alexander Demorais deems to be a threat to him and his power uh, or an enemy of the state, uh, he's going to go after him uh, in some way, either financially uh, or in terms of the speech and the censorship or uh, even worse, uh, physically uh, harming you. Now, I don't have an answer to this. I don't know the answer to the question of it about Yask. But, Addy, have you seen any evidence that the WF, the World Economic Forum, is involved on either side at all? Addy adds. Yeah, I the WEF, uh, I'm, we're still uh, working on that, but I do know that there are communist, uh, direct communist connections to, uh, to Lula. Uh, he's uh, very cozy with some uh, CCP tie groups and uh, one Bulgarian uh, a communist uh, as well. And I believe her name is uh, Moldova. But uh, those stories are on the nationalfile.com, nationalfile.com, if people want to want to check those out. Uh, but yeah, to say the least, it does seem to be that the globalists want Lula in power. And uh, let, let's call them the nationalists or the patriots here in Brazil. Uh, they want who they voted for in power. They want Bolsonaro. Uh, in in power. So uh, again, it does seem to be a, an internationalist versus a nationalist uh, competition here. Uh, you know, it, it may be obviously so with the with the direct connections with with our government, which uh, is uh, still uh, the biggest and strongest in the or certainly the strongest uh, in the world. So, Addy, since we've got you on the line, and let's take advantage of that and talk about a couple of other issues. And I'll roll it into one question, and you can comment however you want. What do you think about the aftermath of the midterms and the fact that we see unrejuvenated GOP in charge of the House of Representatives and going after Joe Biden on the issue of the laptop? And combine that with what do you think of the uh, well, let, let, let's check, actually start with that. Let's actually, what is your take? Uh, well, uh, you, if you can throw in your take on the FTX scandal, and whether you think that will be a big scandal for months to come, Eddie adds, what's your take on the headlines? Yeah, yeah, the FTX. Uh, it, it's kind of out of my kitchen, but it, it does seem to me to be, uh, you know, kind of par for the course in terms of money laundering, in terms of lobbying, in terms of, of funding uh, for the Democrats. Uh, you know, as far as the the Hunter Biden laptop investigation, uh, I'm very very dubious, very skeptical of uh, the Republican Party at large, and I, I know people kind of see me as uh, leaning more uh, conservative. Uh, but I think it's for show. Uh, if uh, results are produced, Lee, I will. I'll be really happy, and I, I'll, I'll give those people props. But I do think it's for show. Uh, I was really disappointed with the way the the midterms went overall. Uh, I got to say, one of my favorite interview uh, from the primary campaign was Carrie Lake. She gave me 18 and a half minutes. Uh, she's a uh, fearless. She's a killer when it comes to the media. Uh, you know, she knows it better than anyone else. And, and to me, that was even more obvious in 2020. I mean, relatively speaking, Kerry Lake uh, was far more popular and Katie Hobbs far less popular, relatively speaking, I think, than uh, the, the case of, of Trump and Biden, which to me just makes that look uh, even more obvious. I mean, this is a joke. Elections don't take time. Results don't take time. My home state of Wisconsin, as far as I know, I wrote a story on it. 
They still have no results on their website. The Election Commission. Uh, it, it's ridiculous. I want to make a small correction. Uh, her name is Arina Bakova, Bulgarian communist. Marina Bakova Alula uh, is closely attached to her. Uh, they've given praise uh, to each other in the past. Uh, and Lula, uh, moreover, uh, has connections to the, the Taihei Institute and the Mark Epstein-directed Humpty Dumpty Institute uh, as well. Uh, and, and that deep dive is, uh, is probably another show, but I just wanted to mention that. Again, that's on National File. Uh, and uh, speaking of, of, of Epstein, you know, you kind of started the show talking about Jeff Epstein. Well, uh, you know, I'm kind of uh, maybe putting the book in here with Mark Epstein, his brother. Uh, they actually took him off the website. But if you go on the lovely Wayback Machine, uh, you can see his, his picture there uh, on the Humpty Dumpty Institute. I actually tweeted that out uh, a couple days ago. So uh, really, really deep stuff here in, in Brazil. And uh, like I said, I think I'm the only English-speaking journalist uh, or international journalist here. But uh, the, the jury's still out. You know, we're we're trying to talk to everybody, everybody we can. So, and that's why we're very pleased to have you on the show, Addy. Thanks for being with us again. Always great to talk to you. Remind people, give the exact URL of the national file, and tell them where you can find your writing. Addy adds. Of course, of course, Lee. Thanks again for having me. Nationalfile.com, nationalfile.com. Uh, I retweet them, uh, uh, the outlet, uh, National Files Twitter, uh, pretty frequently. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, I'm here working for them. Uh, my Twitter is one Addy Ads, one spelled out. And uh, my Facebook is the same, but uh, as I mentioned, I'm having some some censorship issues over uh, over on Facebook there. Uh, but uh, thanks again, Lee. Sure. Uh, and uh, I, I mentioned before, you're the first person to interview me, so congratulations. So thank you so much, Addy. And let me say this, you bastard. Don't trip on a girl's thong when you're over there for <laughs> you on the beach. Okay, okay. yes, Is sir. Yes, sir. I won't do that. Have you seen any girls in thongs? Be honest. I haven't. I haven't, uh, Lee. I, I would be lying if I didn't have a conversation about Brazilian okay. women. And it went It went get, like this. It, it went like this. Sir. Where are they? Where are they? I don't yes. know, but maybe I'll find them. So that's a great Addy as. Thanks so much for joining us, and thanks to Ted Rawl for being in the first hour. And thanks to all our callers, Al Killer, Tarif. Thanks to everybody who works on the show, Command Central and Rod, our producer. We will see you Monday next week for a short week. Big happenings, big news. I'm Lee Stranahan, and this has been The Backstory. 